Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot here on a Wednesday. Mary Kay is in Las Vegas outside of uh, one of the many media centers out there for uh, for everything going on between the Chiefs and the 49ers. Mary Kay is waiting to uh, to do some availability with the San Francisco 49ers coming up here. So we're going to touch base and kind of talk about some of the news of the day because there is Browns news today as we record this. And then we'll kind of preview a little bit of what's coming up uh, on Thursday. So... Mary Kay. Let's get to it. Um, Scott Peters is out. Andy Dickerson is in as the Browns' new offensive line coach. We had sort of alluded to this a couple times on the podcast that maybe that offensive coordinator interview with Andy was a little more than just an offensive coordinator interview. And today it, it kind of comes to fruition that he will be the new offensive line coach. Yeah, you know what? They, they already knew everything that they needed to know about him in terms of Uh, his ability to coach an offensive line from doing all their due diligence on him as the possible coordinator uh, of the Cleveland Browns. So when it came time to replace Bill Callahan, they knew exactly where to go. Now, the only thing about that is they had to, uh, you know, they had to kind of work it through with the New England Patriots because uh, the Patriots were interested in hiring uh, Andy Dickerson as well. So, um, you know, so it wasn't a situation where, you know, he did not have options. He did have some opportunities, and I'm sure Alex Van Pelt was was disappointed uh, that he did not get to uh, hire Andy Dickerson. He, in turn, uh, hired uh, Scott Peters. So, you you know, that tells you right there that, uh, you know, that it didn't quite work out the way that uh, – you know, that Alex Van Pelt probably intended it to, but it works out nicely for the Browns because they get a really, really good offensive line coach. And I know they're really super excited uh, to have Andy on board. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of look at what he did. And, and just so everyone knows, like I mentioned, Mary Kay is sitting outside. So uh, there, there might be some background noise. If you remember our Super Bowl pods last year, that's just sort of it's sort of the deal. You, you got to set up where you can set up. So, um, you know, you look at what he did in Seattle. They had some young players on that line. They kind of rebuilt it. It seemed like they did a nice job. Their run game was really solid. Um, this this just seems like and. You know what little background I know about him. This seems like a very Browns, Browns type of coach, a kind of a young upcoming coach, uh, a little bit of an interesting background. I, I think I read somewhere that he was going to go into teaching or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else, but um, just a really. This seems like a very Browns hire. Yeah, it is a very Browns hire, and one of the ways that you uh, can tell that it is 
is by the fact that he used to work for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, he was here in 2009 and 2010 under Eric Mangini. And the interesting thing about that, Dan, is the fact that he also worked for George Warhop at that time. And George Warhop, for the people that don't remember or don't know George, uh, George Warhop was uh, the, the Browns offensive line coach at the time. And he's a long, long time uh, NFL offensive line coach. He's also one of the best in the business. If you talk to some of the best Browns offensive linemen in recent years, they credit George Warhop, uh, you know, with some of their success too. So, you know, he was, he was amazing. So Andy learned uh, from one of the best and he's got big, big shoes to fill, but you know, I think he's going to be up for the task. I really think he's, he's up to it. I mean, we, you know, granted, Bill Callahan was arguably the best offensive line coach in the business. But, you know, it doesn't mean that there are not other really good offensive line coaches. And I know that it felt like the sky was falling uh, for Browns fans when Bill Callahan left the Cleveland Browns. But, you know, the future is bright and Andy's really going to be good. He's going to do a terrific job. You know, he's young. He's, you know, he's he's 42. He's, he brings a new energy, a new dynamic to the position. And I, you know, I really think that, you know, that the offensive linemen of the Cleveland Browns, uh, all those guys who are going to miss Bill Callahan so much should get really excited about Andy coming in. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's one of the things like, obviously when Bill left, I think there was a lot of like, oh my God, what are the Browns going to do? The sky is falling. And, and again, this is not to denigrate bill or anything like that you're right he is one of the best to he's one of the best to ever do it honestly as far as offensive line coaches are concerned we've talked about how great it is to watch him coach and the way he does it but like life moves on you know like just because bill callahan left doesn't mean that like you can't have another good offensive line coach so i do think the one thing we've seen is um under this regime with you know Stefanski, Andrew Barry, Paul DePodesta, this group together over these last four years, you know, again, that's why I called this such a Browns hire. <laughs> you know, this, this is like a, the type of guy that they like to hire. They've been pretty good at going out and finding coaches, it feels like, and, and finding the right guys who can come in and do what they need to do. Yeah, and he did a really nice job uh, with the Seattle Seahawks over the past two seasons. Uh, they had excellent seasons, and, and they had really good running games. They protected Geno Smith, and they did a nice job out there. And, you know, the Browns, you know, they have a familiarity with Andy. They know him. They like him. He did a really nice job in his interview uh, when he interviewed for the OC job. You know, they liked a lot of those guys that interviewed uh, for their OC jobs. So, you know, you never know who's going to end up here in some other capacity or in some other year. Uh, but they, they felt really strong about their pool of candidates. And Andy was the first one that interviewed with them. So, um, you know, so that, that tells you something right there. They really, really liked him a lot. And, uh, you know, now they have him on board. And when you think about it, Dan, I mean, this represents a complete and total overhaul of the offensive staff. The only remaining person on the offensive staff who was in charge of a position is Chad O'Shea, the wide receivers coach. Everybody else is new. And I think that's very significant because they're really going to be putting together, uh, you know, breaking it down and basically starting all over and building an entirely new offense. And that, you know, that, that's saying something because, 
that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. And, you know, and I think that's why I, um, you know, that's why I advocate Ken Dorsey calling the plays because, you know, with everybody being so new, I do think that it is important to have that continuity and that consistency of at least Kevin is, you know, someone that everyone knows what they're going to expect from right away. Yeah, I, I do want to just jump in real quick because I, th- I think you you kind of corrected yourself there. But you mean Kevin Stefanski calling the plays, um, which you wrote, oh, yes. to, which you actually put up a post today um, at cleveland.com yes. slash browns. That, that <laughs> what did I advocating say? Advocating for Kevin to call the plays. Well, you, you said Ken Dorsey at first. So <laughs> I just want to make sure people, people get that. Okay. Message. So, but I do want to touch on that because you did put that column up today and you have talked about it. So... Um, just, you know, that's part of your reasoning for Kevin calling the plays. So, I mean, just kind of expand on that a little more, why you think Kevin would be in the right to keep play calling. Yeah. And, and sorry that I goofed that up there, but uh, <laughs> you know what? Uh, because everyone is so new, because he has a whole new staff that he, that has to get acclimated to each other. They have to get acc- acclimated to their players. They don't know their players. And here's, a, here's one thing that I think is very important in that regard, Dan, and that's this. You can watch all the film that you want to, and you can coach all the practice that you want to. But until you see a player out there making a contested catch or operating in a two-minute drill or making a catch in the red zone or on the goal line or in the end zone, you don't know how these players are going to respond. You just don't. And, you know, for those reasons, I think it's important to have, uh, you know, let Kevin do it and let, let Ken learn his personnel, let him learn his players, let him learn his coaches. I mean, even Kevin Stefanski doesn't know his new coaches yet, but at least he knows the players, you know, he knows what David Njoku is going to do over the middle on third down, right? He knows what Amari Cooper is going to do on the sideline on a contested catch. He knows all of those things. He, he knows uh, who he can count on in, in a two minute drill in the heat of the moment. He knows who, you know, might, I don't know, might not always fare the best in those pressure type of situations. So he knows all that. And so I think that's important. I think, uh, I think he should hang on to it. I don't know for sure if he will, but I think it's important that he does do that because everything else is just going to be so new. I think Ken Dorsey is going to have a lot on his plate. And also I do think that, um, Deshaun Watson's going to need a lot of extra scrutiny and attention. He's coming off of a shoulder injury. He's coming off of shoulder surgery. He's going to need someone who can devote so much time and attention just to him. So, you know, I I think that if you take that off of his plate, he'll be able to serve sort of more so even as the quarterback's coach. Yeah, and I, that was the other point I was going to make is like we talk about Kevin as a head coach having a lot on his plate, but with the way this is set up, Ken Dorsey, you know, there isn't a quarterback's coach on the roster. I actually, it's actually, there's only one guy with quarterbacks in his title right now, and that's Ashton Grant, who is there, who was their Bill Willis guy in 2020, and it has been, only been coaching for like three years. So Ken Dorsey is the de facto quarterback's coach. And so he's he's got a lot on his plate too. So, you know, the, the fact that Kevin kind of knows what he's doing, kind of has a feel for this, he can let Ken 
just he can let Ken do all those other things as well. So I, I think I'm with you, and, and I don't think there's any good reason for Kevin to give up play calling right now. And if that changes in the middle of the season or changes next season, that's fine. Like you're, you can change that at some point, but I, I think to just hang on to it for now, I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, because look, if, if it go if everything's going great and you know, eight games into the season, you decide, you know what? I always thought Ken could do this, and now I'm sure that he can. Now everybody's up and running. Now everybody knows how the meeting room is going to work out. Now we know how the scripted plays are going to work out. Uh, You know, and if he wants to hand it over at that point, fine. But I still think it's important for Kevin Stefanski and – and Deshaun Watson to have a full season together. I want to see what they can do. I'm curious to see what kind of a play caller Kevin Stefanski is when he has his quarterback for the whole season. He's never had that before. He's only had uh, Deshaun Watson for six games in 2022, six games in 2023. Too small of a sample size to really grade how either of them will fare with each other under those circumstances. So let's see what Kevin's got. I remember saying that at the beginning of last season. I said it all the time. Let's see what you got. Now you've got your quarterback, uh, you know, and now is your time uh, to really prove yourself, to prove that you can work with a dual threat quarterback like this and that you can be one of those premier play callers because I think that's what it takes to get to the Super Bowl and win it, is a premier play caller and an excellent elite quarterback. And I always wondered, is Kevin that? And you know what? I don't know that yet. And nobody knows that yet. And I am still willing to find out. I think it's too soon to give it up. What if he is a tremendous and great, great play caller, like an Andy Reid or a Kyle Shanahan or something like that? Nobody really knows yet. So, you know, why not find out if they have lightning in a bottle and if they can, uh, you know, make that magic happen between Kevin and Deshaun? Okay, we are going to take a break. When we come back, Ashley's going to join in the pod as well. And we'll kind of look ahead to the NFL uh, Honors Show coming up on Thursday night in Las Vegas. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. As promised, Ashley Bastock has joined us now. Uh, Mary Kay in Las Vegas at the Super Bowl, about to head into San Francisco 49ers availability. So, Let's take a look ahead here to the NFL Honors Show and what we can expect to happen there. And Mary Kay, you will be there covering it. So the big one, I mean, let's just start with the with the biggest one, and that's Miles Garrett. It feels like this is the year that he finally is going to win this Defensive Player of the Year award. Is is that what you're you're expecting to happen? You know, I am expecting that to happen. You know, it's probably a tight race. It probably came to Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, but it just feels like this is the year the voters decided that Miles was the defensive player of the year. That's what they did when it came time to vote for uh, the AP first team. He and TJ both made it, but Miles got more votes. Well, that's the same 50 voters. So in my mind, they probably didn't change their mind when it came time to NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And I've talked to a number of voters, and a lot of them have voted for Miles Garrett. So I think that it is going to be Miles, and it's a huge day for him and a huge day for the Cleveland Browns. Ashley, this reward, this reward, this award is so much about momentum, and it just felt like Miles had all of that momentum kind of going to, through the end of the season. And of course, the Browns were really pushing for it and saying, hey, he should win this. 
And it just feels like that momentum never slowed down uh, over that last month of the year. Yeah, you know, I think that for me is ultimately what it comes down to is like a big part of this, I feel like, is the Browns campaigning for this seemed to work, right? Like they made this giant appeal and we kind of, we got it all in that one week. We all remember it. You as listeners probably remember us talking about it and how they were, they were hell bent that week before the Houston game, the first Houston game. Um, on on this narrative and reminding everyone of, of everything he does, that he's the best player on the best defense, that it's not all about sacks. Of course, that is a whole separate debate that we have had many times and I'm sure we'll continue to have about the importance of sacks. Um, but it's a narrative that I think really worked. And for a while there, that last, like those last couple weeks of the season, I was wondering if TJ was going to be able to overtake the momentum. And we were even wondering, I remember at the time talking about he goes down with that injury and, you know, is fighting his way through it. They make the playoffs like, oh, is, is TJ going to have the momentum and the sympathy vote and just kind of take it away from Lyles at the last possible minute? But I, I think when Mary Case pointed that out before, that it's the same voters, that that kind of sways me with that, you know, that all NFL team and Miles getting the most votes there that I'm, I'm pretty confident, you know, like she said, that he's going to be the one that was able to hold on to that momentum ultimately. Yeah. And Mary Kay, it's interesting because like I said, the momentum is very much like people talking about it, but he obviously didn't finish the season on some kind of, some kind of tear. It just feels like, you know, we got to whatever Thanksgiving and it was like, yep, it's miles and no one else really kind of stepped up and stole it from him. I guess like TJ made TJ had some games, but there was, there was no other defensive player after Miles had already sort of built up all of that momentum, who was really able to step in and just have like a great final month of the season to take it. So even with that, those lack of sacks towards the end, it just doesn't feel like that was enough to, to give it to somebody else. No, it, I mean, it didn't hurt him surprisingly, even though he finished seventh, tied for seventh, I think in the NFL with his 14 sacks and TJ did finish kind of strong. In fact, he had two in his final game. Um, and he got hurt in that game, but really kind of, uh, you know, he he helped the Pittsburgh Steelers um, tremendously this season in a year that we just did not think they were going to do anything at all. So, um, you know, so I do think that, you know, that TJ made a nice there at the end, but I still don't think it's going to be enough to overtake Miles. And if it happens like that, I'm sure you'll hear uh, Steelers fans howling, and I'm sure you'll hear... Uh, plenty of complaining from J.J. Watt, his brother, another former NFL Defensive Player of the Year, because there were people that believe that that T.J. deserved it as well. But, um, you know, Miles is certainly deserving, as as Ashley mentioned, too, that, you know, he, he was the best defensive player on the best defense in the NFL. And, uh, and he just, he had another amazing season. And every time you looked out there, you know, Miles was, you know, making an impact. So, you know, I, I just, I think he's going to get rewarded for it. And it's going to be very meaningful because if you do want to make the Hall of Fame, it really helps a lot to have an NFL Defensive Player of the Year award on your resume. And and it's also interesting too, because these things kind of can come in bunches for a player like Miles, right? We saw it with JJ. We saw it with Aaron Donald. These things can just come in absolute bunches for a guy. And you start to get, hey, is this guy even more than, can he get some MVP buzz down the road? Not that he'd ever, not that a defensive player ever wins that thing, but, you know, it starts to just sort of, 
there's there's steps to this thing, and this is kind of the first step to maybe a little run here for Miles. Now, another one uh, that we're watching, of course, that also feels a little bit like a foregone conclusion is Coach of the Year. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, obviously, one of the favorites there. It would be his second Coach of the Year award. Um, Ashley, I <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. This is another one of those things where, you know, look, D'Amico Ryans was up for the award, and then he uh, he absolutely killed the Browns and Kevin Stefanski in that wild card game. But of course that was after the voting. Um, how shocked would you be if it's not Kevin on Thursday night? You know, I think like, I, I guess I would be a little surprised, but I wouldn't be totally shocked. Like I think at this point, if miles doesn't win defensive player of the year, right? Like I, I would be like totally shocked. I wouldn't be shocked, I guess, like if D'Amico Ryan somehow came away with the win here, because I do think people were really admiring what was happening with the Texans. And, you know, the PFWA awards are a totally different voting body. It's a wider voting body. But D'Amico Ryan's did win that award. So it's not the same voting body. So I don't know that it's a direct comparison. But I also think that's a guy who performed really well, who took a team who didn't win many games last year, made them into a playoff team. And of course, that Houston game, the wildcard game, does not count in how these voters were assessing each of those guys. I think I would be a little surprised if it wasn't Kevin, but not as surprised if Miles Garrett somehow doesn't win. Yeah, so I mean, Mary Kay, are you as confident that Kevin's going to win that award as you are that Miles will win his? You know what? It really does also seem like it's Kevin's year. It does. It just seems like it's his year. I think there was so much support uh, for the fact that he had to do it with four quarterbacks. Uh, you know, again, I've tried to talk to as many voters as I can. And, um, you know, a lot of the voters that I talked to voted Kevin. Now, once again, if these awards were handed out, after the playoffs. And I actually think that that would be an interesting debate for us to have sometime because I think the playoffs are important. I think that's the whole point is to see how far you can get in the playoffs and to see how far you can get, you know, to the Super Bowl and to see if you can win it. So if, if I had my say, um, if I had a vote on that, I would vote that they do these awards after uh, the postseason. So, you know, I, I don't know. It just seemed that seems to me the the way to do it, because, I mean, you know, you look at that that wild card game and D'Amico Ryans, who did have an amazing regular season, had a phenomenal game that day. And they beat the Browns 45 to 14. And it's just, I mean, there is going it's going to be a little awkward or odd, you know, to, to have Kevin win it when, you know, you can make the case. It seems like after that, that, you know, that D'Amico should have won it. But I still think because the voting is done before, um, you know, before the playoffs, that that Kevin had the momentum. He had the momentum. And I don't know. I just think it's going to be his year like it will be Miles this year. Oh, that's fun. We don't have time for it here. I disagree, actually. I disagree. And it's funny because, like, in the NBA, I think regular season awards are silly because the playoffs are so long. And we've had so many instances where, like, a guy's won the MVP and lost in the first round. But I think the NFL is still, I still like the idea of, the, of rewarding the regular season. But that's, yeah, that's, we're going to have to do that. Let's, let's put that on the podcast uh, docket here. We should do maybe, that. Maybe next week we'll, we'll talk some more awards when, when you're back home and um, we're, we're not as crunched for time here. But because, because I do, I, I kind of disagree. I like, I think, I think, I think they should stay regular season awards. But anyway, Ashley, real quick. I mean, like I said, we'll, we'll, 
we'll we'll flesh this out a little more, but I'm just wondering like where where are you coming down right now before we even kind of put too much thought into it? My gut says the postseason should count. I get what you're saying, Dan. Like the regular season is this own thing. And like I do, you know, I guess the counter argument would be well, is there too much recency bias if you add the postseason to it? But like the postseason is what matters. These guys talk about that all the time. I think it should count. I don't know. I mean, I know it might mean some guy at the last second maybe pulls an upset, but it might be deserving. I don't that's that's the games that truly matter. That's what everybody plays for. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to this now. <laughs> You're <Really> outnumbered. <laughs> um, <laughs> another another award that everybody's kind of watching here, of course, is comeback player of the year and Joe Flacco um he went on the zach gelb show on cbs sports radio uh and he kind of conceded the the comeback player of the year award he said um this is uh from an si.com story on, on what he said he said i don't necessarily know what i'm coming back from i would say most of the guys on that list i'm not sure what we're coming back from so that's probably my initial reaction but i think anytime you're getting recognized in this league for playing well i guess it can be flattering um but his point there is basically he's coming back from sitting on the couch all season tamar hamlin almost died on the field. So um, he kind of conceded it to DeMar Hamlin, but Mary Kay, it looked, listen, it felt like before the season even started, this was going to be DeMar Hamlin's award. He didn't play a lot this year um, because the bills stayed pretty healthy at safety. I, I don't know. I, it still feels to me like you, you still got to give it to him, but is, is there a real chance Flacco could win this thing? You know, I, I, I think there is a chance. I think there is a chance. And one of the, one of the reasons I think that once again, I've talked to, a number of voters. And, you know, I think he's got a shot. I mean, I, you know, if I, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, you would think that DeMar Hamlin would be winning this. I mean, my goodness, uh, the poor man came back from what he did. Um, and everyone is so happy for him and so proud of him, but there is a recency bias in the NFL. Let's remember when this voting happens, you have in your mind, what has gone on, in the last few weeks. And at that point, Joe Flacco was flinging around 300 yard games like there was nothing. He was whipping passes down the field to Amari Cooper like there was no tomorrow. Uh, so, because of the recency bias, that's why I think he has a chance. I, I'm saying there's a chance. I, I don't know if he's going to win it. I mean, it, it, it probably would be hard to overcome someone who had a heart attack for heaven's sake on the field and came back from that. Thank goodness um but i'm saying that there is a chance yeah and you know like i he played five games demar hamlin did um but i mean heck that's all joe flacco played too uh demar hamlin played five games you know didn't really register any stats he had, he had two tackles but to me i don't know it just feels bigger it's like the fact that he even played those five games based on the scene we saw in Cincinnati is like, holy cow, I can't believe that happened. So I don't know. I understand the case for Flacco and it would not shock me if he won, but it does sort of feel like when push comes to shove, if I'm a voter and I'm filling that ballot out, I'm still thinking, yeah, I got to give it to DeMar. I don't know. What do you think, Ashley? That's kind of what I'm thinking too. I mean, it is just, that was such a big story last year. And I think just the fact, like you said, Dan, that he was able to come back, I think probably my guess is even though there is a recency bias that a lot of these voters maybe had made up their mind already, like the first time he took the field this year, because it just was 
so improbable and such a big and crazy story last season. So I don't know if Joe Flacco did enough or made, you know, enough of an impact across the, you know, voters across the country to override that. And like you said, I mean, the fact that he's even conceding it a little bit in podcast interviews and whatnot, like he's been around the block a few times. He knows how these things kind of tend to go. I'm sure he can sense that tide, you know, still very much in Damar Hamlin's favor, but you know, both those guys, like you said, Joe Flacco only played five games too, but I think we've all talked about and said, there's no way the Browns would have made the playoffs without him. And yes, he only came back from, from the couch, but that's still a comeback in my eyes. He was not on a team and it is crazy to think about that now. It, it is still a comeback. I, I definitely, like, again, if he wins it, great, whatever, fine. Um, this is one of those awards I don't know that I even really care that much about. Um, I really don't care that much about assistant coach of the year either, or whatever it's called, but Jim Schwartz is up for that. Uh, Mary Kay, I know you're crunched for time, so is there anything you want to throw in here uh, before you head into to 49ers availability? Well, let's talk about Jim Schwartz for a minute. Uh, because you know what, there, there is a chance that he can win it too. I mean, what, what, there was so much, um, I don't know. There was so much momentum for the Cleveland Browns this year from having overcome everything that they did. And for, you know, for Jim to come back and be, he, he should get comeback coach of, of the, the year for, uh, you know, coming back into a defensive coordinator role and engineering and orchestrating the number one defense in the NFL. Number one in total yards against number one uh, in passing defense. So, um, so you know what? I think they, I think they all have a chance. I think they all have a chance. I think Kevin and Miles have a better chance than than Joe and Jim. But you just never know. I, you know, Jim probably has a good chance too. And I just feel like, uh, you know, how sometimes you go to the, you know, you watch the Grammys and you know someone just has the hot hand that year, right? I mean, someone just kind of takes it over you know what if it's like that for the Browns what if you know what if it's just their year to get to get honored and uh I mean you never know it could be it could be a crazy night and and I could be uh running around like a complete and total mad woman uh on deadline late tomorrow night that could happen you know it's It'll just kind of speak to to how much of a thud that was for that team to go to the wild card round and get beat like they did against Houston. If they if they win defensive player of the year, coach of the year, comeback player of the year, assistant coach of the year, and it's like I mean they were they were thinking about, you know, are guys even going to be able to be at this awards show to accept it cuz they're getting ready for the Super Bowl, right? And then they lost in the wild card round. It, it's almost like it, it's almost like a second gut punch, Ashley. I mean, I'm like, not that Miles isn't going to be happy and not that these guys won't be happy if they win awards, but like, this isn't what they wanted. They didn't want, I mean, they wanted more on top of these awards. It's, it's just sort of a reminder of how disappointing that loss was. Yeah, no, I mean, along those lines too, I always think about that. I think it was the Juan Thornhill tweet when the guys made the Pro Bowl and he was like, hey, congrats guys, but you're not going to be going. And Unfortunately, I guess they were all at the Pro Bowl this past weekend because they weren't getting ready for this game. So, yeah, you know, I do think if there are like four awards that go their way, it does just kind of serve as that reminder of, hey, like the only real disappointment for this team would have been, I think, looking at their playoff scenario would have been losing in the first round. And they didn't just lose in the first round. They got beat in the wild card round. They just flat out got beat and weren't that competitive. And I think, you know, ultimately, 
best case scenario that serves as a wake up call, but it is just a reminder of this team thought they were going to be in Vegas this week and just didn't get close at all when the time finally came. Yeah, it was uh, like like if they would have gone to Baltimore and like lost a, in a close game in Baltimore, you could have stomached a loss like that. But to lose like they did in the wild card round to a team that made the playoffs, the the barely made the playoffs. Like they needed a team to lose the day after they won to make the playoffs, and you lose as badly as you did. It's that that's got to sting a little bit if they end up sweeping these awards. Um, okay, Mary Kay, anything else before you go? Uh, no, I think, I think that should do it. I did have an opportunity to talk to Travis Kelsey today. That was very fun. We can talk more about that tomorrow. Uh, but I fired as many Cleveland questions as I could at him. I asked him about Miles Garrett. He's so excited for him to win NFL defensive player of the year. Was glad he didn't have to face him this year. I asked him if he's bringing the Eras tour to Cleveland. He said he hasn't even thought about that yet. Uh, and so I asked him a few other questions. Hopefully I can get, uh, maybe a story posted tomorrow on that um it gets really crazy here at the super bowl it takes um you know a good long time just to get to these availabilities so i went to chiefs in the morning now i'm at the 49ers and there's a lot of travel involved and um so it gets a little hard to produce the content that you want to sometimes but um but it's great fun and it's making me get excited about us all coming out here for the game in vegas next season all right, Mary Kay, busting around Vegas, uh, giving you coverage that you can find at cleveland.com uh, slash Browns. Uh, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, you might need to be to read some of that. So uh, head to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click that blue banner at the top of the page and get signed up for all of that. And you can also become one of our text subscribers too. All the info on that is there. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Find us on Instagram, Orange Brown Talk. Find us on YouTube. Search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Dan, thanks for listening, everybody.